Hello and welcome to another episode of I Could Never Be Here on Popcorn Talk Network. I'm very thankful that you guys took the time to join us today, and I hope that everyone is feeling a little thankful. It's that time of the year, right, as we approach the major holidays. It seems like everyone has a friendlier demeanor. And you know what? What I look at it is if someone doesn't have a friendlier demeanor, it's your chance to be a light in their lives. Guys, I can't tell you how excited I am for today's guest. He's someone that I've looked up to for such a long time. He's been in the Hollywood industry for over 20 years. He started as an intern for Will Smith now owns his own production company in partnership with 20th Century Fox. He's been the driving force for movies like The Pursuit of Happiness, The Karate Kid, Captain Phillips, Heaven is for Real, other critically acclaimed films. But he doesn't just do that. He's also a New York Times best-selling author with the book The Weight, which he wrote with his wife and actress, Megan Good. But his latest book, The Hollywood Commandments, right here, now out. Very interesting book talks about how you can achieve success in a secular world without sacrificing your principles. Guys, I could go on all day about what this man has done, but then we wouldn't be able to talk with him. So without further ado, Devon Franklin. Hey, what's how you going doing? on, man? I'm good, Michael. Thanks I, for having me. I know you you crazy busy schedule. Like, yeah. It seems like every day you're doing something else, flying somewhere else, so I greatly <laughs> appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. I, I know I've been trying to get here, and the <laughs> schedule's been crazy, so I'm glad we finally made this happen. Absolutely, absolutely. And this book, I'm telling you, this book, The Hollywood Commandments, is incredible. I've been reading through it. Oh, wow. Got so many parts highlighted in there, because I feel like it's something that a lot of people can relate yeah. to. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear you say that. I mean, I, I, it's a labor of love. I put so much into the book. You know, I've been in Hollywood for 20 years, and I really wanted to distill the top 10 lessons I've learned for life-changing success. And that's why I wrote The Hollywood Commandments, to really be a manual for how to become successful without compromising your faith, without compromising who you are, uh, but at the same time, fully immersing yourself in whatever industry you're, you're called to be in. Mm -hmm. Because I have noticed that so many people, especially people of faith, you know, when they come to me and they're asking me about how to become successful, so much of success has not arrived at their doorstep, not because they can't do it, but it's because they aren't putting in the work. And yeah. so I wanted to write the Hollywood Commandments as a way to instruct, but also motivate. Uh, here's how you can do it, and here's what's going to be required in order to live out your dreams. Awesome, awesome. We're all about motivation on this show, and I can't wait to dive in more, talk about those uh, kind of 10 commandments and principles that you talked about. If you want to follow uh, Devon on Instagram, on Twitter, <laughs> at Devon Franklin, you can follow me at the only MC. We're live here every Monday at 410 on Popcorn Talk, and we also are on Apple podcast like subscribe tell a friend share this motivation and inspiration the world needs it you've been in hollywood for 20 years i know you have a couple books how long have you been thinking about writing this book how long has this been the pl been in the plans um i would say about two years okay. um you know i i had uh i was featured in an article from a blog that does um that reaches out to a lot of people in the silicon valley and in that article uh harper one saw it and they called me and said, hey, have you thought about writing your third book? And I said, well, you know, I got to think about that and really kind of process it. And as I did that, this idea for the Hollywood Commandments, just, it was like God just dropped it in my spirit. And I was like, oh, yeah, Hollywood Commandments. Oh, I like that. And then I just started writing down, like, here's where the commandments would be, and here's how it would work, and here's the foundational text of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and what they learned in Babylon, which was a secular environment, and what I've learned in Hollywood. And so all the parallels were right there. And it just started to write itself. And uh, once that started happening, I knew this was the next book for me to put out. I love your example of, like you're saying, of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Babylon in such a culture that was not what they were accustomed to and not what their faith kind of commanded them to follow. 
what stood out to you necessarily about their lives? Because there's a lot of stories in the Bible about people who are trying to <laughs> follow uh, morality in a Christian faith in an environment that's not. Yeah, that story just was was a good parallel for just my own journey. You know, for them being young, being in Babylon, uh, they were actually interns. Uh, there was the program for three years they were going to be in, and then the basically uh, whoever was best would then enter into the king's service. And so I love that idea that even a- as young people, you know, that they were committed to their faith. They never used their faith as an excuse not to do the job, but they used that they said that their faith was a going to impact how they did the job. Mm-hmm. And I love that that example because they didn't excuse themselves from the work. They didn't make a big deal of even being in Babylon. Their only concern was, hey, we get the job. We understand what you want. Want us to do, but we can't do it in the way that everybody else does it. And I think that is such a great model, uh, you know, for people of faith. And it's a model that I've followed here in Hollywood. And that's one of the reasons why I use that story as a foundational text to parallel the lessons that I'm yeah. trying to get across in the Hollywood community. Absolutely. I love how you said internship. You think that was a paid internship or unpaid internship? <laughs> well, <laughs> well they, I don't think they had an option. So uh, I don't think there was much payment going on. And I even love how you're talking about this example. And they were originally told no in that example and then they actually went to their immediate supervisor because they kept pushing they kept pushing they they again they they wanted to do the job and i think that that is number one we when you look at people of faith and 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 i believe that so many people of faith at least the ones that have come to me and and you know seek my counsel and seek my coaching you know this is the area where we miss it it's like oh we try to sometimes use our faith as an excuse to not do certain aspects that are required of the job. And I say, don't do that. When you look at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their faith wasn't an excuse. Mm-hmm. They said, we can do the job. We just can't eat the same way everybody else does. Yeah. And what I love about that example is when they first went to make the request, they went to the wrong person. And as a result, got a no. Yeah. But they didn't let the no stop them. And I think that too often we're on the path to success, we get too frustrated by the no's. Uh, the no's actually should inspire us. The no's should get us excited because if God has called us to a yes, we need to get the people out of the way that are not connected to where we're supposed to go. Mm-hmm. We need to get the opportunities out of the way that are not supposed to be what we're going to do so that we can focus on the one. And that's all we need, one opportunity that can change the day. And so what I love about that story is after they got told no, they were not deterred. Mm-hmm. They stayed patient and they stayed perseverant and they went to as you mentioned you know their immediate supervisor and here's what they did they framed their request before the request was not framed they just said hey can you can we uh do our job but eat our diet because we can't eat the king's diet because we're vegetarian and we don't drink that sometimes when you make a request you have to frame it in a way that the person you're asking for can give you an easy yes yeah so initially they didn't have that get rid of the obstacles that's right and so the second time they asked they said give us 10 days so there was the framing here is a period of time uh, and at the end of 10 days you can evaluate us and you can do with us as you see fit and what i love about that is not only do they frame the request They then took accountability and responsibility, not only for the request itself, but the result that the request was going to produce. And I love that because I think we have to be in a time where we are accountable for our actions, where we are responsible for the decisions that we make. Our life becomes the sum total of of our decisions and of our choices. And in that story, they were given the opportunity. They got the yes. And after 10 days, their immediate supervisor saw, oh, wow, you guys are far surpassed anyone Mm -hmm. else in the internship program. And as a result, we'll let you keep your diet throughout the duration of the internship. And at the end of the three years, they were entered into the King's service because 
they were proven to be better yeah. than anyone else in the they program. Stood out. They stood out. And so I love it because they took their spiritual teaching and combined it with secular principles. And as a result, they became successful. And that's the same thing that I do with the Hollywood Command. I was going to say, and one of the things you talk about in the book is your difference is your destiny. And you say in that of like that three years, that difference that they had, that they could have been like, you know what, we'll sacrifice that difference. We'll eat whatever you want and drink whatever you want. But that difference ended up being their destiny. Absolutely. And I think all of our differences is our destiny. Uh, too often we exchange what makes us common for what makes us different. We, excuse me, we exchange what makes us different for what makes us common. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've been in Hollywood for 20 years, you know. I've been Christian uh, since I was, uh, you know, a young teen. I've been black all my life. <laughs> and and these are all my differences. And there were times in my career where I, I was contemplating, do I shave down the edges of my difference? You know, do do I not lean into, you know, being black, being African-American? Mm-hmm. Do I not lean into being Christian? And do I just try to play for the middle? And every time I played for the middle in my career pursuit in Hollywood, uh, there was no peace. There was there was no contentment because I realized that I was sacrificing a, a vital parts of my essence, mm-hmm. vital parts of my identity, vital parts of my di- uh, di- Absolutely. And so as I began to own my difference. You know, own the fact that I, I come from a great uh, African-American culture. You know, own the fact that I come from a great Christian culture. And say, you know what, this is who I am. And not be afraid of that. When I did that, life began to open up. Because my differences began to get sharp. So I, I began to get so sharp that I could cut through. And this is why I wrote commandment number eight in the Hollywood commandments uh, to, to encourage people. Own your difference. Own who God created you to be. Don't try to be like somebody else. Continue to harness the power within. And that will be your path to wherever you're supposed to be. The whole book talks about, you know, for people who want that success, and it, it seems in culture, and we talked about this, you know, before the show, is that people, I don't know if they, they see the Bible wrong or they see, like you said, they see it through their own perspective, but what is it about success and achieving success in the world that some Christians are like, ooh, I don't know if I should do that, or I don't, I don't know if I would feel right attaining this success. What is this? Yeah, you know, I, I think sometimes it, it comes down to how we were taught the Word of God, uh, how we were taught to view Jesus, and sometimes that teaching are, are like glasses. And so even when we read the Word, we don't necessarily read the Word for what the Word says. We read it with those glasses on, so through those lens, the lenses in which we were taught. Mm-hmm. And I do think that when you go back to the essence of the Word, you see that there's a lot of things that we were taught that just aren't what the word says. Yeah. So, you know, we, we love that text where Jesus says, you know, be in the world, but not of it. Mm-hmm. So the church says, he don't be of the world. Yeah. <laughs> that's not what it, be in it. Yeah. Be in it because. That's the first part. That's the first part. That's the first part. It, you're, you're in it, but you understand your, where your origin is. You know where you come mm-hmm. from. So it's, it's very interesting to be in this room, right? But we're not of this room. Right. We didn't come from this room. We came from God, mm-hmm. but we're in the room in order to make an impact and make a difference. And so it's the same kind of dynamic. And I do think that uh, whatever we can't engage or we don't engage, we can't transform. And I think because of the teaching of secular environment and be afraid, so many generations of well-meaning Christians have not lived out their full mm-hmm. purpose because they were afraid of an environment that God had already ordained them to conquer. And that's why I wanted to write the Hollywood commandments to say, you know, listen, even no matter what faith you are, but even as a person of faith, as a Christian, you got to go. 
You got to do everything God called you to do, and you got to stop being afraid. I don't understand it. As as people of faith, we we hear about faith every single time we go to church. Yep. We, it's, it's part of our DNA. But we're the most scary people ever. Yeah. And we don't we don't want to walk by faith. We don't want to you know lead by faith and work by faith. And that's why I wanted to write the book to say, listen, we got to get it together. We got to start walking and living out what we say we believe in. And when we do. Part of what's going to happen is we're going to have to immerse ourselves in whatever industry we're supposed to be in and not only do it because it's what we want to do, but it's what God is calling us to do. Mm -hmm. Because if we're supposed to be salt and light, that means we got to get out into these environments, Mm -hmm. period. If salt stays in its shaker, it cannot operate according to its function. It has to be put on something. Light cannot shine in light. Light has to go in darkness. So Mm -hmm. as people of faith, we can't be afraid of it. And I think sometimes the reason why we are is because of how we were taught. And that's one of the the things that I talk about with this show is you're not even just doing it for you. You're doing it for the impact that you're having on the rest of the world. And so one of the things, you know, in in the show and talking about people and saying, if you give up, now, and I look at, you know, I use the example of like Morgan Freeman, who you didn't get his main acting role till way later in life. If 25 or 30 or 35 year old Morgan Freeman would have quit, you're depriving the world That's right. of the films that you have. And just like in this, if you stay timid, you are depriving the world of the impact that you're going to have. And specifically for this case in spirituality, you're depriving the world yeah. of what the Lord wants it to see in the light. That's right. That's right. And, and, and not only just depriving the world of those things, but you're also depriving the world of your gift. Yeah. I mean, think about how incredible the gift of Morgan Freeman is. Yeah. Think about his talent. Yeah. Think about how, how the world may not have had a chance to experience that if he had quit. Mm-hmm. Look at Sam Jackson. Same kind of thing. You know, he didn't really get his break until much later in life, yep. but he just kept showing up. And, and I encourage, you know, commandment number three is you have to carry a crown before you wear one. Mm-hmm. And in that commandment, it's all about the power of service. We all want the throne and we want the crown, but no one wants to work for it. And what I put in there is that we have to commit to the process of success. Uh, I wanted to be a producer from the day I started Hollywood. I started at 18 years mm-hmm. old. I didn't become, become a producer until I was 36 years old. That is 18 years of showing up, working, just to get to the starting line. Yes. Right? Yeah. Having no idea when this thing's going to (laughs) happen. If I quit at year nine, I wouldn't be here right now. Mm -hmm. If I quit at year 10, I wouldn't be here right now. If I quit at year 15, I wouldn't be here right now. So I love to talk about that because everything you're saying is correct, that we have to commit to the process of success no matter how long it takes. And God, one of the things that he does, because it works in concert with our faith, He doesn't tell us the when it's going to happen. Because if he did, we then would say, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Well, well, okay, got it. Cool. If it's going to happen and when, and I know when it's going to happen, then we probably would slack off. You know, we're like, oh, cool. I don't need to work that hard. I can take this day off because in a month it's going to happen. That's right. That's right. So because the when is his business, the how and the faith and the do is our business. I want to talk about your, your career. You're saying it even took 18 years to become a producer. You got to Hollywood at 18. But even you know much before that, when did you kind of know that you wanted to work in film? How young were you when, you know, we all watch movies as a kid. Yeah. How young were you when you thought, this is the path that I want to be able to follow? Man, I, w- I was young. My first uh, career dream was to play football. And I want position uh, running back for the Dallas Cowboys. Nice. Yes. Oh, man. See, we're done. We're wrapping this. <laughs> sorry, man. I'm sorry. I, I know be- you're from West Virginia. So what does that mean? What, what, what team is that? I'm New from, England? I'm from Wisconsin. Oh, Wisconsin. Okay. So my Packers are hurting right now with Aaron Rodgers. But in a couple weeks, 
we'll get him back. But hey, the Dallas Cowboys need a running back. Zeke's out for six weeks now. Oh, so, so they finally went through. So yeah, so this could that. be your opportunity. <laughs> this don't be timid. <laughs> right, man, and hey, and let me tell you, let me go do that. And y'all, y'all ain't gonna see me no more, man. That's I, I will be, I will be in that wheelchair. I am not football ready, um, but I, I knew at a kid that's what I wanted to do, and uh, it was either football or Hollywood. And freshman year in high school, I went to try out for the football team. And I got uh, knocked unconscious uh, in wow. the first scrimmage. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And when I woke up, I was like, okay, God, uh, <laughs> Hollywood it is. Hollywood it is. And from that moment to this, it, it, that has been my, my singular pursuit. Now, what's interesting in, in the journey was the goal at the time, and the goal still now, is to make change. You know, I really viewed Hollywood as, as an inspirational medium, a medium that was influencing, you know, people and millions of people, all, billions of people all around the world. And I just wanted to be a part of that industry that could change hearts and minds uh, in a positive way. That's what I wanted to use the, the industry for. Now, as I was pursuing Hollywood, you know, I, I have always had the ability to communicate. That's just a natural gifting. Uh, I would run for, you know, student government mm-hmm. uh, at school and would win and had the ability to really, you know, debate and convince people of my point of view. And then when I was 15, the church that I grew up in, Wings of Love, Maranatha Ministries in Oakland, they invited, they said, hey, we want you to preach for our youth day. So I was like, all right, you know, I was the most outspoken of my group. And so I preached and everybody was like, oh, my goodness, that's amazing. You you need to become a minister. I was like, no way. <laughs> They're like, you need to go into ministry. I said, no, nope, uh, I'm going to Hollywood. And they were like, but, you, you know, you, my pastor would say, you can run, but you can't hide. I said, well, I'm running real fast because I don't want to I don't want nothing to do with this. And so I came to Hollywood. Why, why was that? Because it, it wasn't my passion. Mm hmm. And and also I saw my uncle in his life, mm-hmm. and you know he you know ministry's hard. Yeah, you know people see the you know the the sexy part of ministry where it's like oh wow you know it looks great and yeah. the music oh, and you're the people. A and, yeah, it's great, but then behind the scenes it's hard because you invest your life mm-hmm. into people, and when people want to hear from you, they are engaged, but when they don't, they just leave, and it's heartbreaking. When yeah. you're investing so much in somebody that in a, at any given moment they can just say, "Oh, I'm I'm no longer coming to your church," or "I didn't like when you did this," and I and I leave. So part of that seeing that hurt was something I didn't want to go into, and also I just felt like Hollywood was where I was supposed to be. Now, as I pursued Hollywood, because I, I discovered that ministry was actually a passion. Mm-hmm. In me, but not in a traditional sense. Yeah. So when I graduated USC, I became an assistant at Will Smith's company. And my uncle said, would you come up once a month to preach? And I didn't want to do that. But I thought, oh, okay, well, I can still do my job, my day job, and I can do this once a month. I can It'll do appease that. the family, too. There you go. Family was like, okay, Devon, we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> allow you to keep your membership. So I started doing that once a month. And uh, people at work started finding out. And so what was interesting is they said, well, you know, hey, can we do Bible studies during lunch? And, you know, hey, I'm having a problem. Can you pray with me? And it got to the point at my first job out of college where even Will, Will Smith, even to this day, he won't call me Devon. He'll be like, what's up, preacher? You know, what's up, Rev? What's going on? So I said, wow, this is so interesting to me Mm -hmm. to be in Hollywood and all of a sudden ministry is the lens through which people view me. And I thought, that's fascinating. I never I never saw that happen. You never saw the two combining? No, no. Really? Never. It was never a plan. 
ever, ever, ever. I, I knew I wanted to make inspirational content. Mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to, to make a positive impact. But I never thought like, oh, this is how I'm going to do it. And so today, you know, for my life and my livelihood and, and the things that I'm building to be a strong uh, combination of, of spiritual and secular is, uh, is surprising, but also very gratifying for me. Is there a hump in, in Hollywood where, you know, people, or you maybe, even for you, you talk about people trying to be like, oh, well, you're a preacher. Did you ever worry about getting put in the box, put in a box for your beliefs? I mean, I, no matter whether you're a Christian or whatever faith you have, or just if you have strong beliefs of a different kind, like, I, sometimes you worry that if you express them too much, you'll get put in a box. Is that yeah, something that um, you ever worried about? Here, here's the thing. Uh, everybody puts us in a box. And when I say us, I don't mean us as people of faith. I'm just saying uh, you may not realize it, but the moment someone meets you or they meet me, you, they put they put you in a box, hmm. uh, a box of how they perceive you, a box of what they, they think of you. Um, and that box can, can be neither good nor bad, but it's a box nonetheless. So for me, understanding that, then I can't really be afraid of whatever box someone wants to put me in. The challenge is for me not to put myself in someone else's box. Hmm. So okay. they can put me in whatever box they want. I know what box I'm in. And I know what box I'm not. In the Hollywood Commandments, I talk about we have to recycle the box uh, yeah, that others that. you know, put try to put us in. And so for me... You know, at first when I was navigating Hollywood, especially once I got to the studio, in, into the studio system, I became a studio executive at MGM mm-hmm. and then I became a studio executive at Sony Pictures. Initially, there was a concern like, OK, it wasn't even a concern about being pigeonholed for my beliefs. That was not my, my issue. It was about being pigeonholed for my race. It was like, oh, okay, because I'm black, you know, a lot of people would send me projects, you know, that featured African-American cast and African-American themes and those and so on and so forth. And at first I was like, well, listen, I'm an executive. I like to make all kinds of movies. And so I, I didn't know how to handle that. And as I began to get more of those submissions, I began to say, okay, maybe there's actually power in the pigeonhole because I can specialize in an area that others don't know. And as I began to lean into that, and then I also, as I began to lean into faith, the first movie I worked on at Sony was The Pursuit of Happiness. And so there's a film that, that, that is absolutely African-American yep. and absolutely inspirational in faith. Mm-hmm. And so on that film, I put together a marketing campaign on how to take that message of the faith in the movie to the church. I was going to say, you went around with yeah, Will went to around several with Will. churches. Yeah, and we did that, and that was incredibly successful. And that was the first aha moment for me where it was like, oh, great. Here is, I'm taking what makes me different. I'm taking what people would say is a pigeonhole, and I am adding profit to the bottom line of the studio, and I am being empowered as a result. So what I began to do from that moment, even to this, was don't be, I, not, not be afraid of the pigeonhole. There's profit in the pigeonhole. There's power in the pigeonhole. Mm-hmm. Because what happens is when you specialize in something, then you actually can build a business around that. So for me, being a, a, a producer that makes uplifting content, you know, uh, inspirational content, faith-based content, now it's like I have an expertise and, and I have a rarity. And the more rare you are, the greater reward in the earth you receive. So, so it's important to not be afraid of the pigeonhole, but to know how to utilize it to propel you into your purpose and not keep you from it. And then when you excel in that pigeonhole, people will give you the opportunity to do other projects as well. Absolutely. Because at the, at, at the end of the day, in Hollywood especially, you know, if you're someone that is successful and you've made projects that work, then that allows you to expand. 
And, and that's when it's important to not have other people's mentality as your own mentality. That's when you should never put yourself in someone else's box because even if you're in a pigeonhole, keep a broad vision of what you want to do. You know, even if you're making a decision that, okay, you know what, I'm going to specialize in this area uh, as a way to give me specificity. Because if you are a generalist in any industry, mm-hmm. you are vulnerable. Yes. Because when they go to make cuts, when they go to look at how they can improve profitability and reduce the workforce, the first people they look at, are, okay, well, who are the generalists? Who are the people that are interchangeable? The ones that have a, a much more difficult time being let go are the ones that are different. The ones that are unique, the ones that specialize. So it's so important uh, to not be afraid of those things, but to embrace it as a way to become who you're destined to be. So in the you know in the book, obviously it follows your life over you know twenty years, and especially the life of being kind of a Christian in a secular society. And I want to be able to talk about what challenges you faced and how hard that was, because in living in Hollywood for two years, you know, did one tenth or whatever of what. You've been here. You know, I face that, and there are temptations. It's not like it's not like we're, we're going to go to this place, and it's going to be easy, and there's not going to be temptations. And I know uh, in the book, the way you kind of talked about the kind of the temptations that you had given into for a little while before kind of repurposing on this path, what kind of temptations did you face, and, and how did you kind of eventually come out of those and turn it around? Yeah, you know, I, I think the greatest temptation any of us face uh, is our ambition. Uh, you know, you can't tempt me with something I don't want. So if I'm not thirsty and you put a glass of water there, that's not temptation. But if I'm thirsty and you put a glass of water there, I'm tempted to do whatever I can, whatever I mm-hmm. feel need, I, I led to do in order yeah. to get it. So for me, you know, it's interesting because uh, as people ask me this question, I, I probably have a non-traditional answer. Because the Hollywood industry in and of itself was not the temptation. Hmm. Because I, I didn't have a hunger for Hollywood itself. You know, I had a hunger for purpose. I had a hunger for position. I had a hunger to, to maximize who I am. And as a result of that hunger and that desire to be successful and that desire to do great things, I had to manage that ambition. Because there were times when I was tempted to serve the ambition over serving God. And that was really the the rub. It wasn't like because it's Hollywood that that was something that that got me. It just it just wasn't. You know, I mean, I, I started in the industry, you know, as an intern uh, at the company that managed Will Smith and P. Diddy and and Jennifer Lopez and and all these incredible celebrities. So you know, I've been to parties. I've 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 been in in situations where I can see the real industry, and those things weren't tempting to me. It just because I wasn't I, I didn't have a hunger for that. Yeah. But as I was climbing the ladder, uh, you know, at Sony and and getting close to hopefully what was going to be my my destiny and my purpose that's where the temptation came in because it's like oh you know i really want to make an impact i really want to be great i really want to be successful and there were temptations to take shortcuts uh temptations to take matters into my own hands uh instead of um still managing the balance between faith and works uh those were the temptations and i navigated those temptations through one you know god uh not allowing certain things to happen that i wanted uh, there were moments when I wanted to be promoted. There were projects I wanted to work on that I wasn't able to work on. Uh, there were many, many moments of frustration, many moments of disappointment. And I look back and I'm grateful for those moments because they they helped me uh, stay on a strong path and stay on a path that would ultimately get to me to where God wanted me to be. But in the process, refine my character, refine my integrity, 
um, refine my desires because if I got what I wanted when I wanted it, I probably wouldn't be here now. Deep question coming at you. What is the biggest obstacle you've overcome in your life? Has there ever been a point in life in, in that time of, you know, that 18 years or, you know, wherever that you felt like giving up, that you were hitting the wall? Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, what? 18 years is yeah. a long time. What? Yeah. I mean, many times. I, t- I mean, I talk about it in my first book, Produced by Faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the very beginning of my career, I had interned for uh, Will Smith. Uh, I mean, I'd interned at the management company for four years and then became an assistant at his company. And mm-hmm. they had promised me a promotion in the first year. Um, but that didn't happen. I was supposed to be promoted into the film department as a junior executive, and the year came and went. It did not happen, and I was very frustrated about that. I was very depressed about that. They ended up firing everyone in the film department, and they only brought in one executive to run the whole department, and so I thought, oh, wow, that's not going to be good for me, and and the the promise of the promotion probably will never manifest, Mm -hmm. and uh, months went by, you know, just being depressed, uh, you know, being distraught. What am I going to do? It's like Um, a day in and day out of, like, you get done with the day and you're like, well, is this what I want to do tomorrow? Is That's this- right. Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, I'm all about forward motion. Mm-hmm. And once I started interning and I understood enough of the business, I said, oh, okay. So the assistant job is, is a necessary stop mm-hmm. on, the career, uh, on the career path. But I said, okay, well, let me intern for four years so that I can maximize my position as an assistant and be a springboard into becoming an executive. So I, I interned for four years, like for real, like it was like my that, job. That's wild. For a lot of people are like, ah, man, I got this three month internship and I can't wait for it to, <laughs> to get over yeah. four years. Man, I parlayed. I took, I took the, the semester internship and did such an excellent job with it. I parlayed it into a full year internship and then, you know, summer. So, so I literally was working a full time job at the internship while doing a full load of classes because I understood I need to put in my time. I've got to pay my dues so that when I'm an assistant, I'm in. I'm an assistant for the minimum amount of time, mm-hmm. and then become uh, an executive. And so, when that plan began to explode in my face, I didn't know how to handle that. So Good I question. wasn't in faith. I was in fear. And so, long story short, one day I go into my cubicle. I, I turn on the computer and I just get frustrated. I say I can't do this anymore. So I go into the bathroom and uh, shut the stall door. And me and God, we have it out. I say, Lord. You know, you said anything I asked for uh, in the name of Jesus, you would do. Um, You said your word would not return to you void. So I said, you must do something on this job today if your word is true. And I left the stall door, went back to my cubicle. Later on that night, true story, my boss called me into his office. He said, Will and I, we love you. We wish we could promote you, but we can't. So we want to help you find a new job. So on one side, I was like, wow, whoo. God's word is true. He did something. Yeah. But on the other side, I was like, wait, wait. There's still no job. <laughs> My job is not going to be mine much longer. Oh, no. Oh, I should have prayed more specifically. So um, so I, I put on my resume, no job. I went to Will, asked him to get me a meeting with his agents. He did. Uh, I went in and met with them, no job. Um, I heard a sermon by T.D. Jakes where he talked about, you know, turning the page from the end of Deuteronomy, Moses died. The Israelites were mourning his death. When you turn the page to the beginning of Joshua, God says, morning time is up. You got to get up and go into the promised land. And I said, okay, that's me. Here I am, I'm mourning a job that's dead. I have to have the faith to turn the page. And on the next chapter of my life, I have to believe that God's promises are still good. Mm -hmm. So that was a Friday night. On Monday, I go in, I put in my two-week notice, I quit. They're like, what are you doing? Why are you quitting? I said, because I can't tell you faith works if I'm afraid to try. 
And so they were like, oh, okay, all right. And so two weeks came and went. People thought I was committing career suicide. You what, know, were, what were your thoughts during that two weeks? I, well, well, here's the thing. The first week, I was hoping and praying that I was going to get a job. That was what I was saying. You know, yeah. you know I'm believing that somehow I'm going to get a job offer within these two weeks so mm-hmm. I could show everybody how great God is. Because he gave you the phone call. So obviously... He's in it. He... But here's, here, here's what God wanted me to understand. At the end of the first week... I was brought to my knees. Why? Because I was only praying for the thing. Hmm. I wasn't actually praying for his hand. And so when he, he made that clear to me that here I am obsessing over a thing, a job is temporary. Yeah. Even if you do it until retirement, it's temporary. He said, but holding my hand and having that relationship, that's eternal. And so when I realized that, I said, wow, I haven't even been trying for a relationship. With God, I, I really was only trying to use God as like you know a spiritual vending machine. I just wanted out of Him what I wanted, mm-hmm. and so then that second week, of the two week notice, I shifted. I said, you know what, Lord, I put this industry on the altar, I put the job on the altar, whatever you want me to do, and I said, as a result, I want you to know I'm serious. So that second week of the two week notice, I fasted, uh, and I didn't do any solid foods. And on Thursday of the second week, uh, that second week, I, I went from uh, you know soups and smoothies to just water all day. Friday, I intended to fast throughout the that, that, mm-hmm. the whole week. Friday came around and I was so weak. Um, I just said, Lord, I don't want to go in to the, to, to the job the last day and pass out. <laughs> I don't want them to think this has gotten to me. And so um, I went ahead and ate. And I said, Lord, I hope my sacrifice is acceptable to you. And um, they threw me a little going away lunch and, and I left unemployed. And uh, one of my friends was like, man, dude, like, you know, what are you, what are you doing? I said, man, listen, I, I just believe God's going to make a way. I don't know how. I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent. I don't, I don't know how I'm going to pay my car. But uh, I know this job is over. I know it's over. So I have to go. And um, I remember, never forget, that Sunday, um, before my first day of unemployment, my buddy called me and said, how's it going to feel to wake up tomorrow? And I'm like, what kind of friend are you? But I'm like, I'm getting, off. I'm, I'm getting off the phone. I said, man, listen, because you're in faith doesn't mean you're, you're always strong in it. <laughs> Faith is fragile. Yes. And so I said, man, I, I don't need any negativity in my spirit. And so Monday rolled around, first day of unemployment. I didn't know what to do with myself. Uh, I didn't even tell anybody what was going on. And my mom called the office. They told her I didn't work there anymore. She was like, what? Wait, she, she didn't know? Did, nobody knew. Nobody knew. Because they would be like, oh, see, Hollywood's just not right. what you thought it was, <laughs> exactly. Devon. You need and to was, come home. I was like, nah, I'm not going home. And also, I, it was a private thing. It was between God and I. And I knew he was mm-hmm. doing something. I just didn't know what it was. And so she called me and it's like, are you okay? And why didn't you tell me? And I said, mom, listen, you know, me and God are up to something. And she's like, listen, you do this to me again (laughs) and I'm going to be up to something. And by the end of the day, um, I got a call from a production company that I had uh, interviewed with months and months before. And they said, hey, you know, we're so sorry. It's taken so long to get back to you, but we'd love to offer you an executive position uh, with our company. The same equivalent position I was going to, I was going to get at Will's company. And I, and they said, do you want it? I was like, yes, thank you, Jesus. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, and, uh, you know, and, and that lesson and why I shared as relates to just an obstacle, you know, that lesson was, you know, this, this career is, it's not about preaching faith. It's about living faith. Mm -hmm. And, and if I don't become an expert in my life on faith, I'm unqualified to talk about it. So the obstacles that I faced are stepping out in faith and trusting that it's time. 
and not knowing how it's going to work out, you know. So I didn't know I was going to get that job. I had no idea, but I did it. Um, back in 2014, I quit working for Sony. Mm-hmm. I quit as an executive to start my company. Uh, now right, right after Miracles from Heaven. Heaven. After Heaven is for Real. Heaven is for Real, yeah. I didn't know how that was going to work out. I didn't know. But I, I felt like, you know what, it's time to go. Uh, before Miracles from Heaven came out, I moved the company from Sony to Fox. Because I just felt like, you know, it's time to it's time to make a move. So, you know, the greatest obstacles are trusting. That's why commandment number five is your gut is hiding the God. Gut, yeah. You know, you gotta trust what you hear and then when you hear it, you can't be afraid to act on it. What drives you? Is it that gut feeling? Is it the faith in your whole time of knowing that, you know, you wanna be a producer and this is the path that I'm on? What drives you during that time, day in and day out of that motivation, that inspiration to keep going? I'm, I'm a middle child. <laughs> we're always fighting for our place, man. <laughs> well, that that's that's probably where so much of it comes from. Uh, it's just you know always like you know wanting to not so much to prove to others, uh, but to prove to ourselves um, that we can do it, that uh, we're worth something. And so I'm no exception. And I think that's a big part of my drive uh, is to to prove to myself that you know I'm, I'm I can do great things and that and that I do have a place. And in addition to that, you know, what I'm, I, I define in the book success as peace. And that's mm-hmm. ultimately what I'm, I'm on the hunt for, which is, is the peace that comes from operating directly in the seat of my purpose. And so, you know, that hunger for that peace is what drives me every day. And I feel like, you know, I'm getting closer, but I don't feel like I'm there yet. Uh, so, you know, doing the books, doing the movies, being on TV, traveling the country, all these things are a part of it, but I'm still still pushing for and hungry for operating in the full seat of my purpose. And that, because I know I'm not there yet, that's what keeps me hungry every single day. Yeah, your quote is, uh, peace equals purpose equals prosperity. Yes. So do you think you've attained po- prosperity or is that, is it, can you ever attain it fully or is that something that we should always keep working towards? No, I definitely think there are, there are levels and measures of prosperity. Um, so for sure, I have absolutely attained a measure of peace and a measure of purpose, which has equaled a measure of prosperity. Um, do I think that there are greater, there's a greater fullness of each one of those? Absolutely. What is your mindset going forward? And even, you know, past five, 10 years, the next five, 10 years, what is your mindset of what you want to accomplish? You know, my mindset is that, you know, I want to, you know, when people think of me and, and when people come to me, I want them to come because of hope, inspiration, positivity, practical advice. Like here is somebody who is committed to doing the very best in life and helping people become their very best. And as a result, we want to partner with him. You know, we want to do business with him. We want to, we want to, you know, find a way to, to help change the world with him. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, when I look at the next five or 10 years, you know, it's about continuing to scale what I'm currently doing, um, and, and continue to have impact because that's, that's what it is. It's like, I see so many people, I see so many things in the world and I just want to have an impact and I want to have a greater influence in order to help create more positive change in the world. And so whatever form that takes. I am committed to. Um, I, I have learned that I have to stay fluid in in how it's supposed to happen. Um, you know, because I don't, I can't see the whole road ahead. You know, I can only see yep. what has been revealed. Uh, so I have to stay in faith about the visions that God gives me, 
the talent that I have, but I have to stay in faith on how it's all going to play out. But my ultimate goal is to continue to scale, continue to have an, uh, a greater impact and greater influence uh, in the earth. Your impact that you're having now, obviously, as the CEO of Franklin Entertainment and you're more in control of being able to put out products and movies, what kind of is your guideline of movies and stuff that you put out? Obviously, people, you know, they think uh, of certain Christian films and there's a, a wide scale and it is, you know, you I think like you want something to impact the culture, but be a reflection of the culture. And is it is it tough? And what is your line for products that you put out of you know, the, the sex, the drugs, the violence, all that kind of stuff of making it a Christian film with a lesson, but being able to maybe ride the line. Yeah, I, I go back to the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to make content less impactful than the Word of God. And what did God choose to include in His Word? A tremendous amount. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of, I mean, there's violence, there's sex, there's adultery, uh, there's there's murder, um, there's incest, uh, but it's all with the purpose. It's all to illustrate the battle between virtue and vice. And he didn't pull punches with the storytelling in the Bible, and I don't want to pull punches as a storyteller myself. I've and heard that, it like that. I love and, that. But that's that. That's the. I mean, we go back to the foundation. Yeah. That, so that's where really where it comes down to. It's like, well, what does the story require for me? You know, ultimately, the content I do is virtue based. Mm-hmm. Yet sometimes you can't appreciate the virtue unless you understand the vice that that virtue has been exposed to or the vice that that virtue has resisted. And I think that is where, you know, um, many of you, know, when you look at Christian films or faith based content, that's where it's missed because it's like we don't want to deep, we don't want to go into vice. Yeah. Right? We don't, we want to hide the vice. Or they um, could do, do a vice that's, you know, like four out of 10. Right. You know, right. Three out of right, 10. Right, like, right, oh right, man, right, this was right. such a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so part of for me is like, okay, finding stories that can do the heavy lifting, that can speak for them, themselves. Um, but not being afraid to tell that story in in its fullest truth. Um, so for me, it's about following that and seeing where that that goes, but not being afraid. That's the number one thing as a as a storyteller, uh, as a producer, is to not be afraid to follow God as He leads. Find great stories that can reach people. Because what happens is that if we sand down the edges of our storytelling, then we dull their impact. Mm-hmm. So for me, in the films that I'm doing, the television shows that that I'm producing. Uh, it's all about what's the virtue, what's the purpose. Oh, okay, this is what we're trying to put in the earth. This is what we're trying to put in the world. This is the message. So as a result of that message, then the way that message is delivered takes a different shape based on the story that we're telling. Do you feel pressure as a man of God and someone a lot of people you know see on TV and, and kind of place in a pedestal in the position that you're in? And how do you overcome that pressure? No, I don't feel that pressure. Really? No, not at all. I, I no, no. I feel the pressure of of not fulfilling who I am, not mm-hmm. fulfilling my destiny. You know, not not maximizing my impact. I feel that pressure, yeah. but I don't feel the pressure from others because I I have learned I can't live up to others' expectations. Period. In in a story, because you know those expectations shift based upon a wide yep. variety of things that are out of my control. So if I do that, then I give them the ability to control my happiness. I give them the ability to control my destiny. I give them the ability to control my peace. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to live that way. 
So I don't feel a pressure. I, I just want to be me and continue to be me. And, and the thing about it is that there are going to be some things God calls me to do that some that love me now, they may say, oh, we don't, we don't love you then. And I just have to say, okay, I got to stay committed. Um, there was a great preacher that gave a phenomenal analogy that I, that I always try to remind myself of. He said, you know, when you see a, a fruit tree and the fruit is ripe for the picking, what do people do? They come up, they pick the fruit, and they leave. Do you ever see them praising the tree? No. He said, the fruit is your gift. You are the tree. Don't mistake the tree with the fruit. People don't love the tree. They love the fruit. They love what the tree can do, what the tree can give them. And that idea is also one of the things that has helped me not kind of wade into the pressure to be. Because while people love what I do, Right. Again, if I make a left turn, they may say, oh, we don't love that fruit. So as a result, oh, you know, so I, and I say, OK, that's OK. I can only produce what God calls me to produce. And sometimes the people are going to love, sometimes they're not. But I don't feel a pressure in that regard. Uh, I just feel a pressure to be whoever God has called me to be. That's great advice. And it's uh, just one of many pieces of advice that are in the book, The Hollywood Commandments, which is out now. You can find it on any bookstore on Amazon, which I'm a big Amazon fan, so I can get everything off Amazon. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it a lot of different places. Thank you for coming in. We have uh, I I have fan questions because I always reach out to people to be able to kind of incorporate more people into the show. And so I have fan questions. If you're ready from a wide range of topics, we usually have some fun music maybe playing in the background. So if you're ready, we'll kind of dive into just some fun questions. Yeah. Okay. The first one is, if you could make a movie out of a book or a story in the Bible, what would it be? Like, are you thinking it, of one right now? That it's you're out like, right now. My movie I, is out right now. I the know star. you have the movie, The Star, <laughs> out right now, which came out uh, November 17th. Yes, is yes. in theaters. Yes, and that's the story of the birth of Jesus, the nativity mm-hmm. story. So uh, I'm already ahead yeah. <laughs> on that question. Not only do I want to do it, I've done it. And it's, it's in theaters all around the I country. Think it was, it's the first faith-based cgi or yeah. cgi movie yeah first faith-based cgi animated film from a major studio in the history wow. of hollywood yep what's yeah. what does that feel like now that that is because it's basically it's basically it out it's out what is the thought process is, is that relief relief complete relief that now it's to the world and audiences are, are finding it and families are loving it uh that is uh the greatest joy to be able to make content that uh, uplifts and inspires people. Awesome. You do a lot of stuff behind the scenes. I know you were a preacher on Woodlawn, and obviously your wife Megan is a big-time actress. I know you're working on her Hulu show, Foxy Brown, but is there ever a chance, or do you ever want to be on screen with her or do a project where you're both in front of the camera? Uh, I, that is not on my bucket list. I, I mean, but hey, if that's what God wants or if that's what she wants, I, I've been okay, but I've never thought about that. What no. is it like working on Foxy Brown knowing that you guys are working together on that project? Oh, it's great. It's great because, uh, you know, I, I want her, I love when she operates in her purpose and I love to help her do whatever I can do for her to continue to do what she's doing. So to be able to do that, um, you know, with that particular project, it's fantastic. Nice. Big movie buffs uh, that watch the show. Are, what are your picks for the Oscars? The Oscars in a couple months. We're nearing the end of the year. A lot of great films. Is there a film this year that you love that you think is good for the Oscars that you think everyone needs to see? Uh, Mudbound, you know, um, is, is definitely, you know, in the hunt. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, the, the holidays is my time to get caught up on all the Oscar movies because I'm an Academy member, so I get yep. all the screeners. So normally, it's the, best. it's the best. Between Christmas and New Year's, I watch them all. So I'll have a better answer after New Year. <laughs> Final question, because 
you know, people love hearing stories that they've never heard before. You've uh, done a lot of work with Will, obviously, on the movies, and then working with him very early in your career. You got an embarrassing story? An embarrassing story about Will? An embarrassing about story Will? No, about I... Will Smith or a funny story or something that you, um, the, an adventure you guys went on or something that people don't know about. Oh, man. Well, you know, when I first became an executive at, at Sony, which was the irony to the whole story I was telling earlier, mm-hmm. is that people thought I committed career suicide by quitting uh, working at his company. Yeah. And then years later, I became an executive at Sony and then became the exec that worked on all of his films. Yes. And so the first day on Pursuit of Happiness, uh, now mind you, like, you know, Will is a friend and a mentor yeah, uh, and all yeah, that. Yeah, no, you guys are really um, close. And, and so he knew I was going to Sony and he and I met even before I got to Sony just to kind of, he gave me the lay of the land and gave me some great advice. But on Pursuit of Happiness, it was the first time that I saw him and that he saw me in that capacity as a studio executive. Mm. And uh, and I, I there we are in San Francisco, and he was in between takes, and I walk over to him, and I'm like, man, the dailies are fantastic. <laughs> now that is like, for those that don't know, that's like the classic studio executive line to talent. <laughs> and he said, the dailies are fantastic. He said, what? He's <laughs> like, dude, you ain't been a suit for a minute. <laughs> and then he takes me over to uh, JL, who's his producing partner, the guy I used to work for. He's like, JL. Devon just said the dailies are fantastic. And JL just started busting up laughing. He's like, man, I can't believe it, man. You learn quick, huh? And so he never, for years, he would never let, let me live that down. For years. So uh, that's that's one of the funny anecdotes um, that I remember of he and I. Well, it's been amazing uh, just kind of knowing your success story and obviously the perseverance that you've showed. And again, so much of that is in your first two books, but also the book, The Hollywood Commandments, which is out now, yeah. 10 Commandments. I love it. It's even uh, at the end, there's like things to do, things not to do at the end yes. of each chapter. Yes, Makes it really easy. Yes. If you guys would like to follow Devon away from the show, at Devon Franklin on Twitter and Instagram. I know you're very active yeah. on there. Yes. Following people and being able to comment, great way to interact. If you guys like to follow me, at the only MC on Twitter, on Instagram. Again, we have this show on YouTube. We're also on Apple Podcasts. Comment, rate, subscribe, tell your friends. Love being able to just share positivity yeah. in a world that needs it so much. Right. Thank, Thank you so you. much Thanks, for coming on. It. It's for been a pleasure. Me. Thank you guys for joining us. <laughs> Enjoy your holiday. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next time. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Spitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we'd like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. Come on, sing it like you believe it. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principals.